As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Support for the Heel Tough Blog podcast comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Look, guys, we've all been there. We've all been trimming. All of a sudden, we clip something we don't want to clip. You don't want to do that. Make sure you take care of your downstairs area, just like the Tar Heels have to make sure they take care of Sam Howell. We don't want to have to put the backup in. And guess what? There's no backup for your balls. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. That's right, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and come on guys, don't use the same trimmer on your face that you're using on your balls, let's just be honest, that is disgusting. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, so you don't have to use any of those powders or whatever, you already put deodorant on your armpits, why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? Right now you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BIGHEADS, that's all one word, BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. Always use the right tools for the job, your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BIGHEADS to get your Manscaped product today. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Over the middle, intercepted, Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way at the 30, the 40, Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick, the heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line, Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw, one-on-one, Davis has it, touchdown, Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26, heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio is going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Big Heads Media Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's the same two guys back with you, and uh, we are extremely excited because the Toriel football regular season might be over, but for the first time in three years, that does not mean that the Tar Heel season is over. The Tar Heels with the 41-10 beatdown of the lowly NC State Wolfpack 
puts them in a bowl game for the first time since 2016. And we are going to try to go through all of the possible bowl scenarios, figure out where uh, we are going to want to go for this bowl season. Uh, we got a couple of different ones. We'll read you almost all. We'll, we'll read through most of the projections. We'll tell you uh, what most people are thinking is the most likely scenario for the Tar Heels. And, uh, of course, we'll be talking about some of the postseason stuff that is going on as well. We will make the case for Mac Brown, or one of us will make the case for Mac Brown as the coach of the year in the ACC. And then uh, we will also discuss another question that uh, I think will be very interesting and uh, might get a little bit of uh, back and forth on social media as well. But we'll start by recognizing the guys that were recognized on the All-ACC team. Of course, uh, it started with first-team All-ACC member Chaz Surratt. Uh, pretty pretty much expected, right? 110 tackles tied for uh, the lead in the ACC with Syracuse linebacker Lakeem Williams. Uh, look, 13 and a half tackles for loss, six sacks, led the team in both of those categories, was uh, top five amongst linebackers in tackles for loss and sacks as well. Uh, and, you know, one of the main reasons why this Tar Heel run defense went from allowing 218.8 yards per game a year ago to just 149 yards per game this year. So uh, Chaz Surratt is uh, shockingly in our minds, the only first-team member for uh, the All-ACC group for the Tar Heels, but uh, very, very uh, well-deserved for the converted quarterback, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah. Hey, guys, this is Josh, by the way. Uh, in case you didn't know that I am the uh, the co-host of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. What also, you, uh, Really? Uh, another How podcast? How would they not know? Really? I, mean, I just... I want a formal introduction to every podcast. I just introduced you. No, you didn't say my name. Oh, I don't need or to Twitter say handle. I don't need to say your name. We've reached the point where, first of all, we don't say Twitter handles until the end of New the New tradition. That's not happening. This ain't your show. Oh. All right? Also, do we really want to do that? A uh, new podcast, and we're still taking shots at NC State. We're really soaking in that win over, like you said. Hey, the, look, look. I'm not taking shots at them. Let's be brutally honest. They suck. I mean, they There's suck so no, bad. They're, they're firing coaches, and players are decommitting, and... Oh, that's what happens when you lose to a grandpa. But yeah, look, Chasserad, we we can only say uh, so much about what he meant to Carolina defensively. He, you know, as as much as Jay Bateman changed the aggressiveness style of the defense, the adjustments made during the game, he also single-handedly transformed this defense and being able to at least compete. Most nights they went on the field. They right. struggled the last month or so of the year. That was mainly due, due to attrition. Uh, in the secondary and on the defensive line at certain times, but phenomenal player. You, I still can't look at him and think I watched him play quarterback for two years. He looks that natural in the in the linebacker spot, making plays, going all over the football field, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch. And when we started right after the South Carolina game, it was just like, okay, how the hell did we not notice, or how did Larry Fedora not notice this? When we recruited him, because he played defense in, in high school. Part of it was because, you know, Carolina needed quarterback play the two right. years he was on did campus. did play quarterback as well he did. in high school and was a super, one of the uh, best to ever do it in the state. But so. he seems like he's found a, a home at linebacker and it, it could maybe one day transition to a career in the NFL. So remember 
in the in, in the preseason when we were talking about him, and then when we were getting ready for the South Carolina game, and because of uh, Dominique Ross's suspension and Jonathan Smith's suspension, uh, we were saying, man, we're going to be in some trouble here because Chas Surratt has to play big minutes at linebacker. You know, we we didn't know at the time. I mean, we'd heard all offseason, oh, you know, he's been he's looked really good. The coaching staff has liked everything they've seen from him. But at the same time, like we all had that same mindset of like, oh, this this probably isn't going to go gonna very work. well. Yeah. And uh, now we sit here at the end of the season, and we're saying, I mean, honestly, you know, when you talk about Chaz Surratt, I mean, he's is there is there a chance? that he sneaks onto one of the All-American teams? Do you think that he could maybe get... I think if he's going to do it, he's, he would get on one of the third on the third team or possibly one of the honorable mentions. Do you think that he's, he could get in that area? Oh, absolutely. Look at how much exposure he got uh, for, A, the, the, you know, the transition. Mm-hmm. You got the play against Duke. Which, you know, Carolina doesn't make a bowl game without that signature play at the goal line to, to preserve the win over the Blue Devils. Yes, exactly. So he, he exactly. had a knack for making plays at the right time in big moments. And so I think that, that'll that help him. He had a very good game against Clemson back in September, which really kind of put him on the spotlight nationally for a college football media member. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if he landed on an All-American team because he played at an All-American level. Okay, so then we move to the second team All-ACC honorees, and that is wide receiver Daz Newsom, Tar Heels' uh, leading wide receiver entering last week, now tied as the leading wide receiver with Deami Brown. And then uh, Charlie Heck, the offensive tackle uh, who has been the anchor of this Tar Heel offensive line for each of the last two seasons. Newsom, 947 yards, uh, and it is, which is tied for the team lead and sixth overall in the ACC. Each of the last two games he has had a hundred and thirty yards or more receiving combined for 300 yards and two touchdowns on 17 catches in his final two games of the season Uh, just a phenomenal finish for him and then for Charlie Heck uh, somehow last year was not recognized in the uh, postseason all ACC selections Uh, don't know how uh, even as an honorable mention this year does get the recognition played a hundred or played excuse me seven 197 regular season snaps allowed just a third of a sack. Now keep in mind this is a this is an offensive line that allowed 36 sacks so far this season. Um, so that is an amazing stat for uh, Charlie Heck and just 10 quarterback pressures all season. He also finished uh, with 39 knockdowns. So um, it seems you know I I agree with Charlie Heck being second team. Uh, Daz Newsome is is interesting just because of the guys that are on third on on the third team for the ACC by the voters. Uh, what did you think of both of these guys landing here? If I was putting a wide receiver second team All ACC from Carolina, me it would have been Deami Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't understate, Daz Newsome, after the Virginia Tech game, was practically unstoppable. Four of the last five games that he played in, he had at least 100 yards received. And, and so I took over late in the year. I, I think that's what stood out was mm-hmm. once him and Howell worked out their chemistry, it was there, and it, and the offense really opened up even more in the passing game. And look, he came in as supposed to be our best dynamic playmaker 
um, was supposed to be the guy that was going to thrive in this offense. It took him a while to, to do that. But once, like I said, once they got the chemistry worked out and they found some route combinations that worked well for both of them, you saw what, what, what makes him so difficult to defend in the open field. And then Charlie Heck, we can't say enough about the, the kind of offensive lineman he is, the leader of that group up front, which, like you said, has given up a lot of sacks, but they've had, a, they've had an up-and-down year. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've been able to stay the course because of his leadership. Publicly, the Dallas Cowboys need to look into drafting him. We need offensive line help. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you especially don't. at the no. left tackle position. Nope. He's going to be a lot of – there's going to be an NFL team that's going to get him and maybe get a steal out of him. He has potential to be a, to, to be a, a stud. I mean, over the last two years, he's been one of the best pass protectors in the entire country. He's allowed one and a third sack in two seasons. So he is about as good as it gets – when it comes to pass protection. Now, I think size-wise, you know, he's grown. I think there'll probably still be some people that will be concerned that he was a tight end coming out of high school and was having to add weight. That shouldn't be something that you read into. This is this is a guy that I think, like you said, somebody on day three is going to get a steal when they land this young man, and he is going to come in and be able to have the type of impact that we've seen some of the other Tar Heel offensive linemen have, guys like Russell Bodine and James Hurst. Uh, Now, both of those guys have kind of faded over the last couple of seasons, but I think Charlie Heck... Definitely, uh, you know, has ha- has the talent, has the work ethic. We've seen it, you know, his entire career. A guy that was a three-star tight end coming in, and now is a guy that is going to be drafted more than likely in the NFL draft, barring something very shocking. So, uh, yeah, I-, I think he's a guy that that will have himself a pretty solid NFL career. Uh, you mentioned Diami Brown. He is part of the third-team All-ACC group. Uh, him, him along with Sam Howell, how these guys are third-teamers is beyond me. Uh, whoever, vote, whoever votes for this, they are some of the dumbest people on the face of the planet because both of these guys should be higher than this. Um, both guys, I think, should be second team, uh, and it's not even an argument in my mind. If you don't think that, you don't do your research. Uh and then Michael Carter and Jason Strobridge, also uh, third-team honorees. Let's talk about the first two guys, Sam Howell. Uh, as you guys know, so far this season, the true freshman leads the ACC in passing yards with 3,347, passing touchdowns with 35, and of the quarterbacks with over 300 pass attempts, he has uh, the fewest amount of interceptions with seven outside of Syracuse's Tommy DeVito, who only threw four five, who only threw five interceptions, which is as many wins as Syracuse had all year. An offense that did not play well. Um, so Tommy DeVito is uh, a guy clearly not ahead of Sam Howell. So uh, it, you know all the stats that matter, he, he's got going in his favor. His 35 passing touchdowns. So so far this season are the second or are or, or, uh, tied for the most in ACC history with Jameis Winston uh, during his Heisman campaign back in 2013. Uh, and he is also averaging 8.6 yards per attempt, trailing only Trevor Lawrence among the conference's quarterbacks. 
I don't have an issue with Trevor Lawrence being placed ahead of him because Trevor Lawrence, better completion percentage, more yards per complete per, per attempt, excuse me, as we uh, as I just mentioned, uh, a guy that you know 30 to eight touchdown interception ratio also is still undefeated in his career at Clemson, believe it or not. Now, uh, as a starter, I believe he is because he didn't start the first three games a year ago. He would be what? 23 and 0, 24-0, somewhere in there. I think he's 23 and 0, 24 and 0. Either way, he hasn't lost a game so far. That's one of the reasons uh, he's also going to be picked ahead of Sam Howell. To me, um, I don't see how Bryce Perkins is ahead of Sam Howell. To me, Sam Howell head and shoulders the better quarterback out of those two. Yeah, this one was really head scratching. I I was in the belief that if you're looking at how a player performed, Sam Howell should have been first team. Because he not only broke UNC records, he broke conference records and national records. And how this guy is considered to be the third best quarterback in your conference does make a whole lot of sense to me. I get that Trevor Lawrence is undefeated and is going to play for uh, a national championship most likely. Um, but didn't have the kind of season we expected him to have this year. He was supposed to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, if, if you go back in the preseason, it wasn't supposed to be close. And hey, Dabo says he should still uh, yeah, be in the run and for the Heisman. And, and Bryce Perkins, the thing is, is that you look at what Bryce Perkins did in Virginia's two biggest games, at Carolina, at home against Virginia Tech to win the Coastal, and he put up over 400 yards of offense in both games. So he he finished extremely hot, and he's also playing for an AC championship, but Sam Howell still outperformed them, and it wasn't even close. And that's the problem is they look at, they look at the, the, the player, the school, and then they look at the record. The right. record in all of this should be irrelevant. If, if, if a guy had a damn good year, he should be rewarded. Carolina isn't go isn't six and six with Cade Fortin or Jace Rudolph. They're not going to a bowl game with one of those guys under center. Uh no. That team more than likely is four and eight at the best, two and ten at the worst. And I mean I think. The, you, you I, started the no. season two fourth quarter comebacks against South Carolina, against Miami, converted a fourth and 17 to win that game. Uh-huh. Took Clemson 60 minutes, went for a dumbass Phil Longo play call. That game maybe goes in overtime, and you got a chance to be the number one team in the country. Yeah. Went into Blacksburg through five touchdowns against uh, Bud Foster's lunch pail defense. I mean, I can keep going. He, he passed every test that yeah. he needed to. Even in the games against Virginia and, and Pittsburgh that they lost late in the year, he was the reason the Tar Heels were still in the football game. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a guy that kept you in every game when the defense went through its its phase of, well, we're not going to stop anybody today. He still was able to keep Carolina competitive and in ball right. games. Look, I, I get that winning is part of it because it always has been. But to me, uh, the statistics when stacked up, I, like I said, Lawrence has good enough statistics to where you can see why the winning would put him ahead of Howell. Perkins, look, that was expected, and the statistics are really not great. They're they're still pretty good, but they are not on the same level that Howells is, especially when it comes to passing the football. And I think that, that that's the reason why I would go with Howell over him. I don't get that mindset that if you look at those two quarterbacks throughout the entirety of the season, I saw Perkins play early in the season. He was god-awful against Notre Dame. Terrible. So I've seen games. There, there was there really a game that we look back at and say that Sam Howell was terrible. 
No, his worst game of the was year Duke. was probably Duke. And they won the ball game. So, yeah. That, and he's, the, he's still found ways to throw touchdowns in that game as well. The, the, what I took away from this. A touchdown. Um, knowing, look, Sam, Sam's a quiet guy. We know that. But he's also a fierce competitor. He's going to take that as motivation for a team that when they go into 2020, look, I know we still got to get through this year. Right, 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 right. He's going to go into next year thinking, well, I broke all these records, and you still don't think I'm the third best quarterback in this conference. He's going to be extra motivated to show himself a little bit more, and that's scary because you're bringing back a lot of weapons on that offense. In the second year with Phil Longo, you expect them to be more comfortable, especially in the end zone. There is a possibility he could improve on what he did this year. And that's scary. That should for, uh, well the, for everybody for the, else, for not ACC, for us. That's exciting, and probably Dave or- Dave Dorn's job. So, oh my goodness, the shots continue. Well, you you speak of some of those weapons that he has. Two of them, as we mentioned, are on the third team. Um, Deami Brown, I'm jo- I'm another one, not not getting it. I don't think it's as egregious as as Howell being third team. But, I mean, come on. This guy should be a second-team All-ACC member. Uh, I mean, is is uh, the third and final receiver on the third team as well. He almost didn't even make a team. He almost finished with honorable mention, yeah, and which that, is That doesn't make any sense. This was a guy, if you go back into the preseason, we thought would thrive in this offense. Well, we're not always wrong. We were right about him being productive. And you look uh, at, hey, we're, you look we're at the games. We're going to do that. We're going to review our breakout stars, and I'm, I'm almost certain – that out of that list, I think we had him and maybe Jeremiah Gimmel as the only two that actually broke out. We're going to celebrate those and then just kind of mumble through the last guy that we had on the look list. At but he, we were we were right on did. this one. Yes, yes. Great catch against South Carolina that turned the tide in that game. That was only the beginning. Um, Led the team again, in receiving in that game. Yeah, mm-hmm. Did it again the next week against Miami. Oh, uh, um, Opening drive of the game takes the long touchdown. Yep. So... Mm-hmm. Virginia, he completely obliterated that secondary. 202 yards receiving on six catches, also three touchdowns on the night if the 202 yards weren't good enough for you. And and you're, you're going to tell me this guy is barely one of the best receivers in this conference for an ACC that offensively, skill position-wise, is not as great as it's well, been in years past? Maybe he didn't finish with... A great, you know, end to the season. Like he, he, he slumped off at the end of the year, right? Oh no, that's right. He finished the game against NC State with six catches for 150 yards and a touchdown. Uh, you know, I don't know. I makes no sense. But here's, here's. Let's, let's go through some of the statistics. Tied for second in the ACC in receiving touchdowns with 11. Tied for second in yards per reception with 20.6. Which, by the way, if you're trying to compare. That season, that is a that that is a better number, barely than what Mac Brown did or Mac Brown Mac Hollins did back in 2015. I'll take it a step further. So that's better than any of the guys I have on NCAA. Here 14, we go. Here we go. Where I literally got to be a reference. I throw the ball show. 60 times a game. Well, that's why. And you can't throw the deep ball on so, NCAA 14. I mean, your slot guy. You know what the definition of a deep ball is on that game? Throwing four verticals to the slot receiver. Who cares? That's, that's a deep ball on that game. But can't throw it on the outside. He's putting up li- literally right video game numbers. Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of yards per catch. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah, but you know you're gonna tell me that there's what there's three receivers on every team they put. Yes, three receivers. So he's the ninth best receiver in the ACC. Get out of here. That's what I'm saying. Brown uh, with 
uh, with 947 receiving yards, uh, which is tied, of course, with Daz Newsome for the team lead, sixth in the conference. The biggest thing for me is the numbers, if you look at them, are extremely comparable to Clemson's top receiver, T. Higgins, who Brown has beat in every category except yards per reception. T. Higgins has him beat. He has, he's averaging 20.9, which let's just take a second to realize how ridiculous that is, by the way. Two guys over 20 yards per catch in the ACC. That That is unbelievable. I think that tells you how bad some of the ACC secondaries are this yeah, year. Yeah, but I mean, like... Um, but you know what? But here's, here's, here's my point I'm just going to make right before here. Higgins, first-team member, number two receiver receiving votes in the ACC. Deami Brown is an almost an honorable mention number nine receiving votes. Yeah. How does that make any sense? And it wasn't I went back and checked. T. Higgins played in every single game for Clemson so far this year. One like he missed time. So this how does that make be sense? Some salty it does ass coaches I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I don't. Mainly I don't Dave Doran. They're uh, just like, oh, we're. I'm, I'm not going to give these. Dude, guys, we got to stop with the Dave Doran shots. You know, He's got these, enough from his own fan base yeah. at this point. But know? I mean, you know, look, there are some wide receivers in this conference that could not hold Deami Brown's jockstrap. But you're going to tell me he's the okay, ninth I'm best not, receiver look, I'm not, in the I'm ACC. I'm not trying to trash any of the wide receivers in the conference. I'm more focused on the voters. Put saying, some respect on his name. Saying that, look. The numbers are comparable to a guy that is on the first team very solidly, but you have this guy barely as a third team member. That, to me, just doesn't make sense. I don't know. Maybe I'm out of line, but that just doesn't make any sense to me. Let's move on. Michael Carter. Th- this is this about right for Mike and and, and Jason Strobridge as well. Uh, Mike uh, finished the year. Uh, right now, of course, the regular season leading rusher with 919 yards. Uh, a number that places him fifth in the ACC. His 5.8 yards per carry is fifth best in the conference among running backs with at least 100 carries. The other big thing that helped him out, uh, he was also a returner this year, averaged 25.2 yards per return. Unfortunately, didn't take one to the house, but came close a couple of times and finished the year with uh, 1,503 all-purpose yards. If we're being real, the reason why he's probably not higher on this list is simply because he only had five touchdowns the entire year. That's just kind of been the story for him over the last two years is that he can he has a lot of success getting those yards, but he just can't seem to find the end zone. But still, a guy that's very worthy of being a third team guy. And, and also, he wasn't the primary runner in this offense – until the latter part of the year, and still, and still leads the team. Yeah, rushing. Um, he was. He did. He he had limited carries, but did the most with them. Yes. And, and so, I think you finally got to see the full complement of what he could be. Mm-hmm. Was when he was never uh, adequately used uh, under Larry Fedora, and some injuries kind of slowed him down. But he's a dynamic playmaker, and when he gets in the open field, he's got the ability to run away from the first. He's not the fastest guy in the world. But he's got enough to get away from you. He's quick. He's quick more than fast. He he has like when he when he gets into the open field, his initial burst is really good, and then you know teams are able to catch up to him. That's both him and Javante. That's the reason that Carolina wasn't able to string together a lot of long touchdowns. But you're like like you're saying. I mean, how many times did we see him come up with a big carry where he was getting? 12, 15 yards when you needed that for your offense this year. Yeah, no, he was just a guy that when he when he towed to the rock, he made the most of those carries. 
as every running back a part of the firm did. I mean, because if Javante doesn't get hurt, he's probably on the list instead of Michael Carter. That's how deep and how right, good the right. backfield is. I agree is, with that. Uh, in Chapel Hill this year. So, uh, really good year there for Michael. I um, was really excited to see him finally get more consistent in terms of running hard because I've been very critical of his running style his first couple years in Chapel Hill. He kind of turned it on midway point of the year, and you saw what this offense was able to really opened up everything in the run game and, of course, the pass game. Well, I think that Phil Longo having a little bit more confidence in him and the rest of the backfield played a big role in why Michael and uh, Javante were both very, very successful this year as opposed to what we've seen in past years from them where, I mean, look, Larry Fedora didn't even really trust his backfield to pick up a third and one. Behind the change so many times. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I think that confidence definitely paid off, and that's a reason why you know he, he lands on, on the third team. I agree that I think if Javante doesn't get injured, this is probably switched, but... Yeah, I think both guys are definitely deserving. Uh, and then the last guy, Jason Strobridge. This one came as a little bit of a shock to me. Not because I don't think that Jason Strobridge had a good year. I mean, it's just, you know, you look at his numbers, 42 total tackles, was second on the team amongst defensive linemen, but that trailed Aaron Crawford. Uh, he had six and a half tackles for loss, which finished uh, sixth amongst the Tar Heel defensive players and was third on the team, or, or uh, was tied for third on the team, excuse me, in sacks with three sacks uh, this year. Uh, also had three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, so did a good job forcing turnovers and uh, getting on turnovers when he had to. Um, but you know when you when you look at his numbers and you compare them to Aaron Crawford, is it not a little bit head scratching that he is on here, but Aaron Crawford is only an honorable mention? And we'll talk about Aaron Crawford a yeah, little more in depth I, here too. Um, Strowbridge's numbers—they're fine. Yeah. No, I agree he with was that. Just played me, over a thousand snaps, so um, yes, that's part of the reason why he he disappeared too many times in games where Carolina couldn't afford for him not to be a factor. Hmm. Virginia, he wasn't uh, he wasn't in the game, or he was he was in the game, wasn't a factor in the game. So and part that, of that might be because of the team because he was receiving double teams. Maybe I, you know uh, this is a guy that Mac Brown is you know said many times he's the best NFL prospect the defensive line has if that's the case you needed him in those kind of situations to make a player two that that has your head coach thinking well you're gonna be playing on Sundays next year so not a problem but when you go look at what Aaron Crawford did and how Aaron Crawford graded out and he's not on the list makes you question the voters even more than you already do. And it may be a little unfair to both guys, Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford, to kind of compare the two and try to pit them against each other. That's not really what we're trying to do. Aaron Crawford, of course, is an interior defensive lineman. I believe Strobridge, if he would is listed as a defensive end, I, I don't know exactly how they do it when they go into the room. Some conferences do just defensive linemen. Other conferences do defensive ends and defensive tackles and break each position down. Um, you know, Even if they may list them as defensive end and defensive tackle, I think sometimes they'll try to move guys around because in a case like Jason Strobridge, I mean, some would consider some considered him a defensive tackle this year. Others considered him a defensive end. Um, 
But I mean, when you when you look at Aaron Crawford's numbers, I think that's the that's the reason why you know we're, we're kind of looking at Jason Strobridge and saying, okay, he's a third team guy. How is Aaron Crawford not above him or at least with him on, on that third team defense? And uh, I mean. You know, look, Crawford led all Toriel defensive linemen in tackles with 49, a number that ranked him only behind Wake Forest's Carlos Basham Jr. for tackles amongst all ACC defensive linemen, and that came as a defensive tackle. Carlos Basham is a defensive end. Um, that's usually expected that the numbers are going to be a little bit higher as a defensive end because you're going to be able to make some of those plays out on the edge in space when guys are trying to get outside. Um, but, you know, for Aaron Crawford, Crawford to do it. It's phenomenal. His eight tackles for loss were third on the team, trailing only uh, Chaz Surratt and Simone Fox, and his three sacks were also tied for the third most behind the two those two same players. Uh, he also uh, forced one fumble and had two quarterback hurries and played nearly every snap for this Tar Heel defense this year. Also, this is a guy that, according to Pro Football Focus, graded out as the top def- interior defensive lineman when it comes to uh, run defense this season. You can say whatever you want about Pro Football Focus. They are very highly regarded in the football community, definitely in the scouting community. Um, So to me, for this guy to not be named to any of the All-ACC teams with everything that we just listed and only listed as an honorable mention, to me, is worse than Sam Howell being put on the third team. That is a disastrous mistake by the ACC voters. Yeah, this is another situation where they got it wrong. Not coming across as a homer, but you just look at all the numbers, what Aaron Crawford did, how important he is to what Carolina tries to accomplish defensively. And when he produced, he still doesn't get rewarded for the efforts. And you will talk about fighting, you know, double teams. He fought him. Oh, that was all year. Yeah, I mean, that was just part of it. You know, this is a guy that's came back from injuries and, you know, fought his tail off and and was a big part of whenever this defense was being successful, who was a big part of that? Aaron Crawford. Right. And to not be an all-ACC kind of player, you're not going to tell me there's a handful of defensive linemen better than him. There, you, I mean, you just can't. I, I mean, mean, there's no way there's six defensive tackles that are better than him. Or if if, if we're going with a whole, you know, with, with a whole group of them, twelve defensive linemen that are. Better. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. So you know, some dead air there. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 kind of shocking. I mean, honestly, like I, I don't understand what. What, what these voters were thinking. And again, I, you know, maybe because, you know, pro football focus is, is you know, based on certain formulas and statistics, maybe he wouldn't have been a first-teamer. But he should at least be second or third team, in my mind, without a doubt. And for him to be left off is, is just a shame. Uh, and then the other two guys that received honorable mentions, guys that we can pretty much, you know, go, you know, we, we think, okay, they're deserving of honorable mentions. Uh, Javante Williams, of course, uh, started the season very, very well, but of course, uh, kind of fell off a little bit as the season went along due to injuries. Still managed to run for 848 yards, which is seventh most in the conference, and five touchdowns on 152 carries. His 5.6 yards per carry, six best. Best in the ACC amongst players with 100-plus carries. Uh, this one, you know, kind of seems where he should be, especially with the amount of running backs that you've got in the ACC that are extremely talented. Four guys that went over 1,000 yards. Uh, and, you know, another guy that 
again, had a really good year yards-wise, but reached the end zone five times, not quite as dominant as some of the other guys in the conference. Yeah, no, but, I mean, this is a guy, if, if he's healthy for all 12 games, probably eclipses the 1,000-yard threshold for the first running back since Elijah Hood back in 2015. Uh, but, I mean, still, was a guy that early on in the year made it life easy for Sam Howell because he was so successful on the ground running through tacklers, um, no matter the opponent. So, yeah, the touchdown numbers, I mean, that was across the board. Carolina, when they got inside the 20, couldn't run the football. Right. It was it was the weirdest thing in the world how they could move it up and down the field from 20 to 20. But once they got inside the 20, they had a really hard time moving the defense to get their running backs into the end zone. But still a very productive year. I mean, this, you know, this is a guy that, what, two-star, three-star recruit? Uh, three-star, bo- almost a borderline two-star. Very and, low three-star recruit. Yes. So, you know, still outperforming whatever the recruiting rankings would have told us whenever we Yeah, you got to hand it to Larry on that one. That was a big-time find. That was a good find. And then Miles Dorn is a guy that, you go back and listen to the first month of this podcast, we were highly critical of because his tackling in the open field, quite frankly, was not good. Uh, I mean, um, I, I wasn't – the tackling wasn't my biggest concern with him. His he, he had some coverage issues early in the year, which I think was more of the communication issues that – was able to get fixed as the year went along. I mean, you got to hand it to him. He was the leader of a secondary that was changing every single week with different guys having to rotate in and out because of injury or because of struggles, and they still found a way to be at least a serviceable enough unit to keep this team around in games and give them a little bit of hope. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that both guys are uh, very deserving. Uh, Miles Dorn finished the season 78 total tackles, which was third on the team. Uh, third most amongst defensive backs in the ACC, and also pulled down two interceptions and registered four pass deflections as well as four and a half tackles for loss. Is there anybody else that we think got uh, maybe got snubbed here? The only one that I think should be on the honorable mention list that isn't is Jeremiah Gimmel. Second on the team in tackles, 79, seven tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. I think that's that's a guy that should have been recognized. Uh, definitely, in my opinion, probably, I mean, you got to think how many guys usually get recognized. I would put him in as, as one of my top 15, 16 linebackers in the ACC. Uh, that's the only one that I've really got any sort of real issue with. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that opinion. Gimmel, you know, a guy that we predicted to break out. And he had, he had his moments where he was looking like a big-time linebacker. Only a sophomore, so he's got two more years to kind of get to the kind of player we want him to be. But, yeah, I'll, I'll second that. Uh, anybody else? I mean, Vince Amendola, pretty efficient quarterback. <laughs> I mean, you got, you got uh, to hand it to him. I mean, I, that guy. There you go. That, I mean, that guy could be getting off. There you uh, go. Full ride scholarship offers from other ACC oh, schools that need quarterback play. Seriously though, uh, anybody? I mean, anybody? Anybody else? I like the only other one that that kind of came to mind. Timon Fox had some bigger numbers, but the consistency just kind of kind of wavered there. So I, I can see why. Bo Corrales could have been on there if he would have been targeted in the end zone like he should have been. Okay, I I agree with that. The touchdown numbers uh, uh, were. A little bit lower than we were probably hoping with what we saw from him early in the year. 
Um, I mean, you just you can't really put any cornerbacks up there. I know Storm Duck rated out, according to Pro Football Focus, as a second-team guy for the ACC. So he's a guy to keep an eye on for next year, but I don't think he he's a guy that was really terrible to leave off either. Um, can, can we agree that Miles Wolfolk would have been on there if he probably would have stayed healthy through the season after the start that he had to the season? Yes. Yeah, okay. So there we go. Uh, so that's our look at the uh, ACC guys. Uh, we do want to mention this. Uh, Sam Howell named uh, ACC Offensive Rookie and Overall Rookie of the Year. Uh, no shock, right? Like, this is exactly what we expected from from him, especially with all the stats that we put up. Now, it is a little bit of a shock that the ACC voters got it right, but, uh, there, I mean, there was nobody else that they could have really Yeah, no, this was about as, as easy as it gets. By the way, go check out, wrote an article about that on HeelTech.com. There we go, he got that. Yep. Um, got some go. interesting stats in there. Well, Sam Howell did this year, so go check that out on the website. There you go. Uh, and so that uh, that wraps this uh, this opening part of the podcast up. Now, okay, so we're done with the postseason talk for the moment. We'll come back with uh, a question later on that we'll talk about a little bit. Um, but let's get into the bowl projections. That's the main point of the podcast uh, right here. And, look, I mean, this time of year, you know, I'm not comparing it to the bracket predictors because those guys are just on another level. But the amount of guys that put together bowl projections is just ridiculous. And so we have, I believe there's either 13 or 14 different predictions uh, that we have for you guys about where the Tar Heels will go. Uh, We'll read through most of them, but we're going to uh, and and then at the end we'll give you where we think the Tar Heels should go, where we'd want to see them go. Um, And then maybe where we actually think they'll go. Uh, The most popular prediction online so far that I'm seeing is the Military Bowl and the team will play against Navy, which would not be the most ideal draw. Navy is a good football team. They've run the ball for over 361 yards per game so far this year. They have a guy in Malcolm Perry that as a read option quarterback is in the running for the Davy O'Brien Award. Uh, very legit football team. You'd have to go into their building to play this game because this game is hosted on their home field in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, definitely a tough draw. There's a few different guys. Uh, CBS Sports, that seems to be across the line for them. Both Chance Litton and uh, Jerry Palm have the Tar Heels uh, playing there, as well as collegefootballnews.com. They have uh, the Tar Heels playing Navy there. Uh, that's uh, one that I think we can all agree we want to avoid completely, if possible. Uh, maybe not the bowl game itself, but definitely against uh, Navy in their place. Yeah, I have no desire to want to go play Navy. I have no desire to go play in the military bowl. Um, it'd be a neat thing, but I think I think see the thing about Carolina is, even though they are six and six, they they are an attractive six and six. Right. So they can kind of bowl people that make up a bowl committee. They're going to be a little interested or, or trying to get them because they've got Mac Brown and that's going that's going to sell. You've got Sam Howell, and that's going to sell. This is a program that is on the rise going into the to next year. So. I think they're going to try to market them as such as a team that, okay, we can start pushing the narrative in this bowl game for next year. I don't think you get that with the military bowl against Navy. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, And then 
when you get out outside of that bowl game, the one the the other most common destination is the walk-ons Independence Bowl. I don't want any part of this. Uh, I don't like the fact that it's got Conference USA tie-ins. I don't think that really draws much interest at all. Uh, the other thing is, last time we played in this bowl game, when it was ACC and SEC meeting, uh, it was not the way that we wanted it to go. Missouri destroyed Everett Withers' team back in 2011. Um, so, yeah, I would like to avoid that. Altogether, the game uh, of course takes place in Shreveport, Louisiana. Not the most attractive destination for Tar Heel fans to travel to. Uh, Joe Tanzi of Bleacher Report has the Tar Heels there taking on Louisiana Tech. So, uh, I, I mean, again, how many Louisiana Tech fans there actually are out there, we don't really know. But it would be a little bit of an advantage for them because, of course, much closer to Louisiana Tech than to uh, Chapel Hill. Got Jason Kirk from BannerSociety.com. He has Southern Miss playing Carolina there, that'd be that'd be a little interesting because you get to go up against Larry Fedora's old school. Um, so yeah, a little bit of an interesting tie-in there. And then uh, also Eric Smith of USA Today Sports, uh, he put the Tar Heels in the Independence Bowl, uh, this time against Ohio. Uh, which was a team that we saw on match, and we didn't actually watch the game, but we flipped by it and saw that they had scored 66 points in three quarters in a game this year. So could be a little interesting there, but uh, none of those really draw the eye for you, really. And I don't think Shreveport, Louisiana is quite the uh, the, the destination that screams uh uh, sexy bowl matchup. Only way this game would have intrigued me was if Carolina got uh, matched up against Charlotte. Can't happen. They're in the Bahamas. They're in the Bahamas Bowl. Only way I would have even been remotely interested in watching Carolina play a team from Conference USA. I interned with ESPN Charlotte, where the radio affiliate home station of the Charlotte 49ers football program. Will Healy's done a fantastic job his first year taking that program to the first ever bowl game and their first ever winning season, but they're going to the Bahamas, so right. I'm not interested in the Shreveport Bowl. Okay. So okay, so those are the two main predictions. Um there are a couple of other oh I wanted to ma- I forgot to mention this one. Nick Bra- uh, Bromberg of Yahoo Sports has the Toriels in the military bowl, but they have them taking on Temple. Uh Interesting because Temple's put a lot of really good coaches at Power 5 programs. Not many Diaz. Uh, No, he was there. Uh, Have to hand it to former Northern Illinois head coach Rod Carey, who has kept that program going in the right direction after Manny Diaz came in, took the job for about 40-something days, and then said, uh, yeah, I'm leaving for Miami. Uh, Good turnaround for them, but again, doesn't really scream intriguing matchup. If they... If the Toriels have to go to the Military Bowl, that would be a better matchup because at least you wouldn't be playing Navy in their place. But still, I don't think that's one that's overly intriguing uh, to really anybody. Um, There are no other Military Bowl. Oh, there is one. Excuse me. This one was just updated today. I forgot about this one at the top. Uh, that was just updated today. Kyle Bonagura of ESPN has the Toriels in the Military Bowl against Central Florida. Couple of different aspects that's interesting here. Of course, we all know the the, the UCF national championship hype. Uh, the team did fall off a little bit this year. Still nine and three. Still a very good football team. Um, 
at, led by, oh, Jay Hobson is their head coach, right? I can't remember. I, I get him and, and one of the other guys mixed up. I believe that's their head coach, uh, is Jay Hobson, uh, who was their offensive coordinator under Scott Frost. Um, or, no, is it Hupel? Is Josh yes. Hupel. Josh Hupel. I get those two mixed up. Josh Hupel, who was under uh, Scott Frost, that's their head coach. Um, he's still got them as a very legitimate contender. And also, very interesting, if the Toriels were to draw this matchup, they would close the season with Central Florida in their bowl game and then open the season with Central Florida in their place next year. I think that alone will probably take the wind out of the sails when it comes to this game being really that interesting yeah that that won't happen right um, i don't think that's gonna happen either tip for you next time that we do this you should group all the bowls together that way you're not scrolling up and down the computer screen trying to find which is which okay wise ass i just went through and was putting this article together and was just going with all the recent ones that i could just find trying to be a congratulations because i'm looking forward to your article that has where carolina is projected to go in the ncaa tournament with every bracket predictor out there we'll look forward it. to that article i don't think that's actually i'll have it ready to go those are lies one of the other common places now this one every single analyst that has the Tar Heels in this bowl game has a different team that they will face and I think this is one that will probably be very attractive for us which is the new era pinstripe bowl which is takes place in Yankee Stadium it's a I don't know about you I think it's a really cool setup that they do in Yankee Stadium I think it looks very nice it's very uh, appealing on the eyes you're gonna have the chance that snow could be involved which is always fun whenever you're watching games won't be fun for the players on the field um, but some interesting matchups that the Tarheels could face here a very good Indiana team that according to Mark Schleyball of ESPN that's one to keep an eye on Tom Allen's done a fantastic job there Eight wins for the first time since the 70s, I believe. Uh, 70s or 80s for Indiana. So uh, that that's a team that is on the rise and has done a really good job this season. Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports with Carolina against Michigan State. Uh, another interesting matchup. That would be a great coaching matchup. Mac Brown against Mark D'Antonio. Um, also, interesting matchup for the Toriels there would be Michigan State's defense, which is always one of the better units in the country matched up against their high-power offense um, and then the other one that I had was Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports who predicted the Tar Heels to play Illinois in the New Era Prince Stripe game. Uh, this is how I'll phrase this because I think these are all attractive. Uh, Illinois, if you're wondering, a team that did beat Michigan State earlier this year has won a couple of games that they probably shouldn't have in a bowl game and is coached by Lovey Smith, which could be another interesting coaching matchup. Which one of these three attracts you the most? Because I feel like this is a destination that, like like me, you would you would think is a really good destination for this team. Probably Michigan State because they're okay. the biggest they're the biggest brand in college football coming out of the Big Ten. Haven't had the year they wanted to have this year under Mark D'Antonio, but that's kind of what they are. They're hot and then they're cold. They're yes and they're no. But uh, Katie Katie Perry reference right there. That might be the uh, end of the podcast right but, there. Uh, that might be it. That that would oh. be the pinstripe bowl. And I'm not a big bowl guy. That's one that I'll turn into because normally that game is wild. You're in Yankee Stadium, although it's not the old Yankee Stadium. There's still the nostalgia that is you're playing in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. It's normally cold. It's normally snowing. And the games are a lot of fun. 
and you get you get an ACC versus SEC. So for all of us that want to pound our chest about bowl records in the postseason when we want to trash the SEC or whatever, we 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 pay attention to that kind of game. Um, Illinois. You, know, you said they beat Michigan State. They also beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin playing in the Big Ten title right. game. Biggest this, upset of the year. This this weekend, Indiana quietly a good year under Tom Allen. They finally kind of got where they were wanting to go under Kevin Wilson. So they all would be different challenges. Michigan State would be the most name brand because you've got a Hall of Fame head coach and a program that's made a college football playoff and are normally in the hunt to win the Big Ten East. Now there is another analyst that predicts us to play against Michigan State. This one, I would rather play them in New York than play where this analyst has us, and that is uh, Bill Bender of the Sporting News, one of our our guys, one of our guys here on the podcast, our friend Bill Bender. Um, He has us playing in the Quick Lane Bowl against Michigan State. That game is in Detroit. Uh, That would be an extremely pro-Michigan State crowd. I would like to avoid that. Here's the better question. Which one would you want to avoid more, playing Navy in the Military Bowl or playing Michigan State in the Quick Lane Bowl? Navy's the easy answer because of the matchup. Okay. Michigan State. Okay, more about, okay, then, environment, who do you think would be better? Because Navy, the thing about Navy is they're going to play – at home, and you know that they're always going to bring out the um, the they're going to bring the midshipmen out. Their students are going to come out and watch the game. Michigan State, bigger overall fan base, and Detroit's really not too far from East Lansing. The thing is about bowl season is when you're a fan of a disappointing team like Michigan State, their season disappointed. Are you going to? Sw- uh, spend time and money around the holidays to go watch uh, a bowl game. To Detroit? Is, I think so. That is that is really meaningless at this point. For Carolina, you know, our fans may be willing to travel to that game because Mac Brown's kind of re he's he's breathed life back into the program. I don't think that game being in Detroit means a whole lot because I don't think Michigan State would be invested regardless. Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting. So you'll still go with Navy out of of those two. Okay. Okay. Makes a little bit of sense. And then the last one that I have seen. Now, keep in mind, there were some that were projecting that the team would be in the Belt Bowl. That has changed. A lot of guys just re-updated theirs uh, within the last uh, few, within a couple of hours of the last installment of the college football playoff rankings before the final rankings, uh, which took place last night. So a lot of guys have readjusted theirs. The last one that I saw from Brett McMurphy of Stadium, who uh, everybody knows, uh, he has us in, by the way, the best sponsored bowl so far this season, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Yes, uh, very, very interesting. They changed from the Hyundai Sun Bowl, which I thought was very, a little bit more appropriate. Very interesting. Uh, they have us playing now. This would be, this would be kind of different than it would have been if, uh, if some circumstances were different. Uh, he does have us playing against Washington. Um, I mean, look, we were out in the Sun Bowl against Stanford back in 2016. I thought overall it was a good game. There, there always seem to be pretty good games there. They're not going to match you up against a terrible opponent. It is a Power Five opponent, but this Washington team a little bit of a disappointment. Still an eight and four team. That's pretty good, um, but they're not going to have Chris Peterson on the sideline. So I, I, you don't get that Mac Brown Chris Peterson matchup. Is this one that would would interest you at all, or is this one that uh, you, you you were 
kind of skewing away from. No, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Sun Bowl. It's one of the best settings in all of college football. Uh, like you said, normally that game you get to play against a, a pretty good opponent. Normally that bowl game is a ranked versus ranked kind of matchup. So it was good exposure for Carolina. Uh, games on CBS, so you'd actually get to hear some SEC guys, see if they know did their research about the two teams that they got to call the game on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd be okay with that. Washington's a pretty good program. Chris Peterson took them to the college football playoff. Of course, he's stepping down, so they're in a program in transition, but... For what Carolinas want to accomplish, yeah, that's a pretty good bowl game. You get to, you know, gain more national exposure. You get to go play in a unique, fun setting. It's it's a lot easier to get up for that kind of bowl game as opposed to the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit, where there's really nothing attractive about playing in Ford Field in the dump city of Detroit. <laughs> oh man, uh, that is a humongous shot at the city of Detroit for absolutely no reason. Uh, but yes, we'll 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 just roll with that because apparently we're just taking shots, not understanding how you are not a fan of Detroit because that is where Carolina won the two thousand. National Championship, but go ahead. Go ahead, buddy. Uh, So, out of these ones that we've gone over, uh, I mean, look, there are a couple other destinations where they could end up if enough things were to happen and and maybe some money was thrown around to where, uh, you know, teams were wanting to have, or uh, excuse me, uh, bowl what committees were wanting to have Carolina there. I saw the Camping World Bowl. That doesn't, I I am almost 100% certain that's not going to happen with Texas, barring something very shocking. Uh, Music City Bowl was another one that we haven't seen anybody project Carolina to go there. Um, but out of the destinations, where do you think is overall the most attractive? Where would you want to see Carolina play? Um, and who would the opponent be that you would want to see Carolina face? Uh, I'd like to see Carolina play in the New Year's Six Bowl. Oh, here we go. Against an FCS team, so we guarantee okay, ourselves in ass. the national championship. Okay, wise ass. Um, Oh, the ones that is listed, I would take the uh, the pinstripe bowl in New York. Okay. Because it's, like I said, all the great things about playing up uh, in Yankee Stadium. One that is not listed, Belk Bowl, is for us. We could easily attend that game. Right. Um, and that, that if was... If they could slide their way right. to the Music City Bowl, because I I, we, could, we could probably make a trip out of that. Go see the good friend Christian Tanner Cobb. That's right. Um, and do some other fun stuff. And it'd be a fun trip to go to Nashville and stuff like that. So I was I was a really big fan of let's just say the hell with how we've aligned bowl matchups. Give me Carolina and Texas. Give me that storyline. Right. Give, give me Carolina beating a Texas team that completely underachieved. You've got Mac Brown against this former school. Uh, Sam Ellinger said that uh, he thought they did fine. Yeah. Yeah. Labrador against his former school, so you have those one. kind of storylines. Oh, definitely. So, and you get exposure against a premier program. I mean, Texas fans will travel anywhere to watch their, that team play. So, mm-hmm. if you can beat a Texas team in a bowl game, that really jumpstarts what you want to do going into next year. Yeah, I think that would be an interesting matchup. I think the possibilities of that happening, that was something that was floated out there um, by the uh, CEO of the Camping World Bowl. I don't think that's going to happen. I'd be very shocked if that actually happens. Um, you know, the Belt Bowl was one that was attractive, but every every one that I've seen when they are slating teams to go to the Belt Bowl, it seems like there's only a handful that have an SEC team there. So Carolina, if they play there, would likely play 
play a, a group of five opponent. Now, the group of five opponent that Mark Schleyball had with them before he readjusted his predictions yesterday would have been a little bit interesting with Florida Atlantic being the team there. Of course, Lane Kiffin versus Mac Brown, that would be kind of fun. Um, everybody loves Lane Kiffin's antics. It's hilarious. Uh, but I don't know if that's going to happen. You're right. I think, I think the Belt Bowl would be attractive because fans – will have easy access. Um, in terms of the one that I think you could get the best matchup out of, I think that um, you, probably the Music City Bowl, because I think you could get matched up with Tennessee in the Music City Bowl. That'd be a rematch of the bowl game uh, that we saw against them back in 2010. Uh, and, yeah, that that would be fun to do that all over again. That would be a, a, another great game, I would expect. Uh, Tennessee, a team that's starting to sort of be on, you know, on the rise, believe it or not. I'm not going to say that they're back. I hate using that phrase because everybody thinks Texas is back and they're 7-5 and five this year. Um, but definitely a team that looked a lot better later in the year than they looked early in the year. Um, I think that would be a, an attractive destination. And then, like you said, uh, the new era of Pinstripe Bowl, which seems to be the more realistic out of the ones that I pointed out, um, I think that would be interesting. And I'd like to see him matched up against Michigan State. I would like to see how this Tar Heel offense can handle playing against a really good defense in Michigan State. It would be a good learning experience for a guy in Sam Howell that's had a really good season, um, and it would be tough preparation. You're not going to walk into that game and think that you're automatically going to come out with a win. Um, I think there might be a little bit of motivation uh, because there uh, is it a little bit wild to say that with everything that has happened over the last couple of years on campus there at Michigan State, that Mark D'Antonio uh, could could they could be looking to eventually move on from him because there were some rumors that before last season they might they might look in a different direction because of everything that was going on. I I you know they kind of push those off because they had a little bit of a successful season overachieved a little bit you think there's any chance that he could they, that they could be looking to move on from him if he finishes six and seven this season no chance no chance so you think the i mean you're saying he's one of the better coaches in the country right he he has a job as long as he wants a job they're not i mean unless they get one in 11 two and ten they're not going to fire him okay okay I think there could be some motivation there, though. You never know. Uh, and then Sun, the Sun Bowl uh, against whoever they put in from the Pac-12 could be interesting. Team like Arizona State, Washington could be interesting. Um, but that's kind of where uh, we went. Uh, we'll read off some of the ones that you guys sent in. Uh, we've got, let's see, uh, we want Trenton Simpson or at Tar Pit underscore Heels. Uh, he says Pinstripe or Music City. Uh, makes a little bit of sense. Uh, you got Ben uh, at Frost 11B. He says the Belk Bowl or the Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, also says or my preseason prediction, which was the Quick Lane Bowl. Uh, but that's only so he can say that he's right. Um, he'll buy the uh, he'll buy the receipt. Uh, and he said he'd like to avoid the Military Bowl against Navy at all costs, which definitely makes sense. Uh, Nathan Perry at Nathan P nine seven three three zero eight five seven says Music City or Camping World. 
two, two very different ends of the spectrum there uh, when it comes. Music City, one of the lower bowls on the totem pole as opposed to the Camping World Bowl. Um, and again, neither one of those, unfortunately, seem likely at this point from what we're seeing. And then Matt Littlejohn, uh, he says uh, the game in Charlotte, which would be the Belk Bowl. So uh, thanks for sending those in, you guys. Uh, now we move on to the final uh, segments uh, of the podcast. Uh, we're going to do uh, we're not going to do the 40 yard dash because we don't have a ton of information to tell you about uh so far, at least, uh, there are some rumors on the recruiting trail about uh, some of the guys that are currently committed in the class, possibly uh, their, their commitments wavering, but we're going to do it a little bit different. We have two questions that we want to talk about really quickly before we get out of here. Uh, I wanted Josh's opinion on this, and of course, I want your guys' opinion on this. Just send it uh, to the Heel Tough blog Twitter page, at Heel Tough blog on Twitter, uh, and we'll read some of those responses uh, next week. Who do you think was the more important person to the Tar Heels' success this season? Quarterback Sam Howell or head coach Mac Brown? Uh, it's Mac Brown because you don't have Sam Howell without Mac. Sam wasn't coming here if Larry Fedora was going to be the head coach. So they kind of go hand in hand. Mac Brown was able to instill the right way to you know attack a a game plan, how to prepare. Uh, and, and allowed, and he he got the right coordinator to fit Sam Howell, um, his strengths as a, as a as a passer. Okay, uh, interesting that you bring up the fact that he would not have been in Chapel Hill if it wasn't for Mac Brown. We don't necessarily know that that's true, just because Walt Bell, when when Walt Bell left, Mac Brown was already in place. So we don't know. If he would have reconsidered Carolina, I'm assuming that Larry Fedora, if the recruitment was open, would have recruited Howell as hard as Mac. You would hope. Probably, I mean, not on the same level as Mac because Mac is just a little bit different. But you would have hoped that Larry would have pushed to get Sam Howell uh, into the rotation uh, of quarterbacks in Chapel Hill, make him a part of that 2019 class. And, you know, the other thing is we talked about it earlier. If Jace Reuter or Cade Fortin is the quarterback of this team, this team is not in a bowl game. You're talking about a guy that has put up the best statistical season of a true freshman uh, in the entirety of college football. Um, I mean, then that's taking history into account as well. Uh, you're also talking about a guy that came in, broke program records his first year on campus at the quarterback position, and is a guy that, you know, we, we have said heading into 2020 is more than likely going to be a Heisman sleeper. I think without him on this roster, this team probably would have been three and nine, four and eight, somewhere in that range. So I think there is an argument to be made. I think there's an argument to be made for both, but uh, I would I would lean Sam Howell uh, just just by a bit. Um, I think you know if you get a talent like that, you would think they would still be able to be successful even if a guy like Larry Fedora was uh, there coaching him. Last thing uh, that we'll do is does Mac Brown have a chance at the ACC Coach of the Year? Um, I think uh, he has a chance. I'm going to make the case for him um, because I'm assuming that you are definitely uh, thinking that Mac Brown will not win ACC Coach of the Year. Um, 
This is where our lack of preparation, pre-pod, we fail you. Because I would have taken the stance for him being coach of the year because, well, I'm Mac Brown's biggest supporter. If you remember back when we made the hire – you question the hire. Okay, I support fine. the hire. I'll go. I'll go against um, it. I was. Tr- I was going to say I would take Mac and make the argument for him, considering that I did doubt him in the preseason. Um, but sure, go ahead. Go ahead and make. Yeah, I mean, argument. you look at what what he did. Satterfield probably deserves it the most because of what he took Louisville from two and ten to seven and five. Bronco Mendenhall has taken Virginia to their first ever ACC championship game. Okay, stepping on the toes of my points here. Come on. If you look at what the program is, who has more positive energy going forward? You feel a lot better about what Carolina's at, more so than Louisville and even Virginia. And who is that because of? That's because of Mac Brown. He breathed life back into the fan base, back into the program, the whole athletic administration fully supporting what Carolina football is wanting to do. You see the basketball team showing up to all the games and staying until the fourth quarter. A lot of times they were dipping at halftime when we were down 30. Um, and it's, it's all because of Mac Brown. He changed the culture because that's, that's the kind of guy that he is. So that's why you make the argument for him because he's the second best coach in the conference. He took a program that's won five games in two years to six games in one year going to a bowl game. So clearly they made the right decision in bringing him back to Chapel Hill. Well, there's a couple of interesting candidates out there. I agree. I think uh, you got to start with Bronco Mendenhall, won the ACC Coastal, um, a team that was expected to win the ACC Coastal, but, uh, you know, got off to a little bit of a slow start in conference, rebounded, beat Virginia Tech for the first time in 15 years. Um, You also talk about a guy that's come in, uh, established a completely new culture to Virginia. Uh, remember, Mike London when, when when he left, that program was you know from from everybody around the team was a complete disaster. Uh, they had pretty much written that team off, and uh, came in within two years has the team in the ACC championship game. So very very strong argument for him. Um, also. Scott Satterfield, as you mentioned, another guy that was out there uh, has been, you know, there, there are some local media members who have brought up the question of whether or not the Tar Heels should have hired should, should have hired Scott Satterfield uh, now that we see the success as well. They still want to make that argument. Uh, I'm not quite on that end of the spectrum, um, but what Scott Satterfield has done has been very, uh, very successful, has been recognized around college football, went 7-5, and five, soured a little bit by the loss uh, in the final week of the season to Kentucky, uh, but was basically just dominated by a, a superstar athlete that's playing quarterback for Kentucky. Uh, still a, a great season, first year uh, with Louisville, brings them back to a bowl game, taking them from one of the worst statistical defenses in the history of college football uh, to being a team that was competitive night in and night out. Um, you know, of course, wasn't as competitive as he probably would have liked against Clemson, still a, a few steps away from that. Um, but in an ACC Atlantic, which is really lacking a number two team right now that is any sort of challenge to Clemson, you could make the case that maybe Scott Satterfield has his program in a good position to challenge uh, or to be the biggest challenger to Clemson. How big that actually is is still uh, to be seen. Dave Clawson, guy that started the year hot, kind of falling off uh, towards the end of the year, but that's mainly due to injuries. Got to think if he still had Sage Sherratt and Jamie Newman helped healthy throughout the entirety of the season, this was a team that probably could have reached double-digit wins, um, You know, whether it was through a bowl game or 
or maybe even in the regular season, considering that they really didn't play the toughest schedule. But not having both of those guys definitely helped. Still, talk about a guy that has taken a program that was roughly five and seven, four and eight, just about every year, to now being a team that consistently makes a bowl game and now uh, could also be one of those teams that could challenge Clemson uh, or give Clemson their biggest challenge. Not challenge Clemson. Uh, that's the that's terrible phrasing. They're going to be nowhere near Clemson. I don't think anybody is for a while unless Florida State makes a huge hire um, that we just haven't seen to this point. Um, I, I think that Wake Forest is, is a team that people are talking about and there's a legitimate argument. And then, of course, the one that I don't think really makes much sense, but somebody is going to make the argument for is Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. Uh, He went undefeated, but let's be brutally honest. He was expected to go undefeated. It is still impressive with the fact that he has to continue to replace as much as he does each year. It's starting to kind of turn into what Alabama has in the SEC. So he's a guy that if he keeps winning double-digit games a year, especially if he keeps going undefeated in the regular season, you would expect him to be in those conversations. Um, but I honestly, I'm going to be real with you. I don't think he deserves it. But out of those guys, uh, there there are some good arguments there. I think uh, the the award ultimately will probably go uh, to Bronco Mendenhall. I think that Scott Satterfield will probably finish second overall in the voting, and I think Mac Brown uh, will probably finish third. That will be released tomorrow, uh, and we will let you know that'll be that that award will be released tomorrow morning. And of course, we will update you uh, with an article if Mac Brown wins uh, Coach of the Year, and if not. Uh, we'll just surge on and get fully uh, into the bowl projections and uh, a little bit of recruiting as well as we turn towards the early signing period. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Remember those questions that we talked about at the end of the podcast? Make sure you go on to Twitter at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. Send those responses in. We want to hear from you guys what you think about those two questions as well. If you have a destination that you would like to see the Tar Heels play a bowl game in. Let us know that as well. Again, try to be a little bit realistic here. Uh, don't go, you know, off script with, uh, you know, maybe a location that doesn't have an ACC tie, or uh, you know, saying that a New Year's Six bowl. Uh, you know, we're just not going to see them there this year. It's not going to happen. That's just how it works. Uh, of course, we all are hoping that we're going to see this team in New Year's Six bowl uh, sometime during the Mac Brown era, preferably next season. And uh, with everything that we've seen so far, it's definitely possible. But uh, send those into us. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, make sure that you are checking everything out on the Heel Tough blog website. We've got so much great stuff up there for you guys surrounding the football team. As I mentioned, uh, we, we will be having a bowl projections uh, article that's going to go up for you guys. It'll give you all of the insight into all of the different projections and uh, give you sort of a little glimpse at what the Tar Heels could be facing uh, if they land in that destination against that opponent. Make sure you guys uh, check that out. That'll be up on the website uh, sometime tomorrow. And then uh, you guys can also check out uh, some of the stuff that we're going to do when we get closer to the bowl games where we'll preview the bowl game. Then, of course, recap, do the stock report, and do the trench report for the bowl game. If you want, you can go back and check out the ones that we did uh, from the NC State game. we got the recap up there as well as the trench report and the stock report, uh, all of which has great information uh, for uh, about the Tar Heels' big win against NC State. And then, of 
course, we will also be keeping you updated on everything that's going on on the recruiting trail as we close in on the early signing period. Of course, that will start on December 18th. Uh, Trenton Simpson, the 2020 still composite four-star outside linebacker, uh, will be making his decision at Mallard Creek High School on the 18th. Uh, there's also another schedule commitment from three-star defensive tackle Octavius Oxendine uh, on the 19th. And that's a name to keep an eye on with the fact that there are a couple of guys right now that we are keeping a, a close watch on uh, because there is some belief that their commitments could be wavering. That's quarterback Jacoby Criswell, the four-star dual threat from Moralton, Arkansas, and then three-star defensive tackle Clyde Pender Jr., uh, who is uh, hails from Armwood High School in Seffner, Florida. So we're keeping an eye on all of that for you guys. We'll have all of the latest for you as we head towards uh, the early signing period, which, believe it or not, is just 14 days away, two weeks away uh, from this podcast. So we have you covered with all that. We also have you covered basketball-wise. Of course, tonight the Tar Heels get ready to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. A huge test for the Tar Heels against a very good Ohio State team. We'll have you covered with everything that you need. Of course, the recap podcast, that'll be going up tomorrow, but tonight we will have the recap of the game, and we'll also have Anthony's analysis that will go up, so make sure you keep an eye on the site for that. Best way to do that, sign up at the bottom of the page so you can get everything you need right into your inbox. Uh, Just scroll down to the bottom, put in your email address, and it will send right to your inbox so you don't even have to worry about going on social media. But if you like going the social media route, make sure that you like the Heel Tough blog page on Facebook. Uh, we post all the stuff on there. We also have some other stuff that you're not going to be that, that you're not going to get sent uh, to your inbox, including the podcast. So make sure you do that so you don't miss either of the podcast, the Heels Up Blog podcast, or the Roy's Boys podcast. Um, so make sure you're li- you like and follow uh, that. Uh, Facebook page. And then, of course, on Twitter, make sure that you are following the Heel Tough blog page on Twitter, at Heel Tough blog. We're going to start doing uh, a little bit more with that than we've been doing in the past. And then, of course, you can follow both of us on Twitter, me at Future Tar Heel and Josh at Joshua Marlowe 5. And... Uh, Also, make sure that you like and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review as well. Um, We we would really appreciate that. Rate, review, subscribe uh, to the podcast. That's what I was going for there. and we would greatly appreciate anything that you guys uh, are, are willing to say about the podcast. Uh, let us know if, if there's something that you want to see in the podcast. We'll do it. Uh, let us know uh, if, if you know uh, if, if you like the podcast. Just leave us a little bit of a comment down there. We'd greatly appreciate that from you guys. So, uh, once again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Josh for taking some time out of his day to come on the show. And as always, go Tar Heels!